Want to enjoy a sweet cookie and still stay in ketosis? Two friends did just that with Keto Cookie. Christopher and Victor went on the ketogenic diet, lost fat, and felt amazing. But they wanted something sweet and convenient for their busy lifestyle. So they created Keto Cookie and now want to share this sweet satisfaction with you. Is this really keto? Low Carbers tested Keto Cookie with their glucose monitors and were amazed by the results. How is this possible? Keto Cookie is made with non-GMO almond flour, is naturally sweetened with erythritol and monk fruit extract, and has a healthy amount of grass-fed butter, coconut oil, and MCT oil to fuel your day. With less than 2 grams of net carbs, it's the perfect on-the-go snack to keep you energized and ready to inspire the world. Enjoy your chewy childhood favorites like chocolate chip and the cinnamony snickerdoodle, gluten-free, guilt-free, and bake-free. To discover more about Keto Cookie and how two friends are inspiring people to eat smarter but sweeter, visit KetoCookie.com and be sure to use the promo code LLVLC to receive 15% off your order. And follow them on Instagram for exclusive giveaways and specials at Keto cookie have you tried the jigsaw electrolyte supreme yet it replenishes minerals b vitamins and electrolytes that are lost daily through sweat urination occasional diarrhea and exercise a live in la vida low carb show listener named trisha writes i listen to your podcast on the iphone app and have enjoyed your sponsor jigsaw health where you talked about the electrolytes lemon lime for ten dollars off with coupon code llvlc my feet and legs cramp up often even though lca HF two and a half years and then keto half year after that for three years total eating well. I wondered if the electrolytes would help so I used your coupon code. First night of drinking the mixture all day, no cramps, slept well and every night since. Just reordered the three pack this time saving more money and using your code once again. Thank you, it really tastes good and works great. I use twice the amount of water they suggest or it's too sweet for me so I put a scoop in 16 ounces or half a scoop in in eight ounces instead of one in eight. So join Trisha. Get Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Head on over to lowcarbelectrolytes.com and definitely use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to save $10 off of your order. Again, it's called Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Coming up in episode 1243, Eric Remensberger. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the ll cool j of podcasting jimmy moore hey hey guys we're back here on the living la vida low carb show with jimmy moore and today i'm very privileged to welcome to the podcast a gentleman by the name of eric rimmensberger um and actually it was a little bit earlier this month uh or earlier this year excuse me that i met eric in person at the metabolic therapeutics conference that really geeky conference i've been telling you guys you guys about in tampa florida and he's been a transactional attorney for three decades currently heads up uh, a west coast real estate practice at and you can say that word for me 
Praskauer. Praskauer in the L.A. office. However, his passion for the last two decades has been all things related to health. And his passion found a purpose when he was diagnosed last spring with stage four prostate cancer. He did a deep dive and was able to get the cancer into remission rather quickly within seven months using a multimodal approach. And I'm sure we will have a chance to touch on all of these things that he did to help himself. Eric, welcome to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. Jimmy, thank you so much for having me on. I I enjoyed the opportunity to meet you, and I've been a fan of your show for some time now. Thank you. And yeah, it's always fun going to those conferences. People are like, well, what'd you learn at the conference? I'm like, you know, I learn a lot of things on this show that, you know, go to a conference like that. I don't really hear anything new, but it's the people I meet at these conferences like yourself, Eric, that make it all worth it to me. And definitely you're doing some incredible work. You were telling me about... The, uh, the website that you created, questtocurecancer.com, and definitely go check that out, you guys. It's brand new, brand spanking new. It's your new baby, isn't it, Eric? It is. It is. And it, it's been a labor of love. I tell you, I, I've had so much fun, even though it's kind of consumed my entire life for the past four to six months. Welcome to living online, my friend. I've been doing this over a decade, so I, <laughs> it takes a while to build it, but it's so worth it because you're getting knowledge out there and you're definitely going to be helping a whole lot of people with this. But let's back up. Let's hear your story about how you were the successful attorney and, and moving along in life and then suddenly it hits you. Yeah, I, I, I was a classic kind of, I, I was about as far from being healthy as one could possibly be when I was, until I was about 40 years old. I mean, I was a heavy smoker, two packs a day cigarettes. I was a heavy drinker. I was a workaholic. I was living in New York at the time. And it was after I moved to Los Angeles in 1995 and started going through this transition where I wanted to get physically fit, starting off as a gym rat and kind of working my way more into kind of more holistic medicinal theories and, and yoga and that sort of thing, that I started kind of really doing uh, a, a life transformation, if you will. And I, I was doing that for a long period of time before I got diagnosed with cancer. So I felt at the time of my diagnosis that I was somehow immune from that. And, you know, I was one of these folks who just would never see a doctor because I didn't need to see a doctor, right? I was far too healthy for that. I was eating organic and grass-fed and everything you can imagine I was doing was totally healthy, you know, bottled water, et cetera. And it was actually while I was at the Paleo FX conference uh, in Austin, Texas in 2016 that I first started having some symptoms. And that was in May, as you know, because I saw you there. That was there. And, <laughs> and uh and it started off, the symptoms started off with difficulty urinating and spasms in my bladder. And I initially thought it might have been because I tried this electrostimulation device that was on the uh, exhibition, in the, in the exhibition hall at that event. And I had it mounted to my bladder or stuck to my bladder and turned on as high as it would go. And I figured, you know, I was kind of showing off at how physically fit You're I was. You're a wild man. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, I just completely screwed up my bladder. This is silly, you know, it'll heal. And when I got back to Los Angeles, I don't know, so two weeks after I left the conference, I, it was still continuing. And I decided, hey, I better see a doctor. Of course, I hadn't seen one for some time. So I found a doctor who uh, did a blood panel and had my very first PSA test at the age of 59 years old. Oh, boy. What was this? And it was 21.1. Oh, wow. And that's bad, uh, you course, guys. For those that don't know, that's really bad. Yeah, you want to be under four. 
actually want to be under one. I was going to say mine usually hovers around 0.6.7. Well, you're very, that's a very healthy number to be at. Um, Anyway, so I see, I I went to see a urologist and of course he did a a bigger battery of tests initially with an ultrasound test and a digital exam and said, your prostate is, is whacked pretty badly. It's, it's, it's too large. It doesn't feel normal. I think you may have uh, either benign prostate hyperplasia or cancer. And so we need to run a bunch of tests. And All right, stop I, right there. How did C, how did the C word hit you when you heard it for the first time? Well, I didn't I didn't pay much attention to it, Jimmy, at first because I figured okay. it's I, I'm I'm on the uh, benign prostate hyperplasia end of the spectrum, and this could not be cancer. It's <laughs> right. just absolutely so impossible. denial, denial, complete denial. And my denial continued after I had my first um, all my my initial tests, which included a, a PET scan and a and a um, bone scan, uh, a CT scan, and a biopsy. And it was the biopsy, of course, that's kind of the telling, because that tells you not only if it's if it's it cancer malignant in the stage, yes. And I had, for those of you who have not gone through a prostate biopsy, it's it's I don't even mention it because your readers, your it listeners, sounds painful. Say, yes. Well, yeah, they would probably turn off the radio if I did. <laughs> and so all twelve sites came back positive for cancer, stage wow. four, stage four because it was outside the prostate, and Gleason score nine, so very aggressive. And of course now it. When I got that news, which was about eight o'clock in the evening on a Wednesday night, I was just sitting at home watching television. It just struck me like a. Initially, I felt like you got to be kidding me. My whole world just kind of came grinding to a halt, and I started asking myself all these questions about all that I had been doing up to that point to be healthy. Was that just a bunch of bunk, or what's what the hell's going on? And I was just really in shock, just total shock. And when I came out of that. I decided that this, I was going to turn this into my new passion in life is to really kind of do a, I had been doing a pretty deep dive, but now I was going to jump in with both. How could you not? Your life depended on it at that point. Exactly. Exactly. And boy, oh boy, did I go crazy. I mean, I literally, I literally read 14 books in 21 days right after I got that diagnosis. And I found some really good works and I found a bunch of bunk. Dr. Seafried, I assume was one of the books. Yes, and I have his actual book in addition to hearing him speak on several occasions. Yeah. Um, and I think you may have, I'm sure you've mentioned this to your to your listeners, Jimmy, but um, Tripping Over the Truth is probably yes. the seminal book for anybody that wants to kind of get a really Travis good Travis is coming on this show very soon as well. So, yeah, real excited to get that message out there. But that was one of the ones that helped you, too. It, exactly. And I got to tell you a little kind of anecdotal point, And that is I've, I've interviewed, I think, 12 different uh, oncologists, radiologists, doctors who specialize in cancer in the process of, of selecting the team that I was going to work with. And of those 12, only two were even aware of that book. Wow. Well, it is I kind of an unknown surprised. book, you know, because it's not with a huge publisher that everybody would know. And so you, you kind of can sort of kind of forgive them. Of course, a lot of oncologists are probably stuck in conventional wisdom in treating cancer and not really looking at things like cancer as a metabolic disease being a thing. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I think, I mean, we can kind of get a little bit into that, the, the mindset of the doctors, uh, the medical community and the doctors who specialize. They really have a deep, deep knowledge, but in a very, very narrow spectrum. And so this book, I think, would fall outside of that spectrum and therefore wouldn't even be on their radar screen. Right. And Uh, neither would Dr. Seafried's, for that matter, for the most part, um, because he's probably echoing a lot of the Warburg effect 
type of literature that's out there and they don't want to hear about that because they have drugs and chemo and they're kind of happy in their way that they're treating their patients. Am I being cynical? No, you're not. You're not. And it's 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 interesting when you actually get behind the curtain and really look at this stuff to see how little consensus there. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of consensus within the uh, standard of care medical community, you know, what they call evidence based, which I which I I kind of have to say with tongue in cheek, because there's a lot of that evidence that I that I'd like to take issue with so-called evidence. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so-called evidence. But, you know, the, it's all over the map. Some people say cancer is caused by eating red meat. It's yeah. caused by toxic mold. It's caused by, you know, too much acid in your body, genetic. De- I think that the general view and you know this, and we talked about this at, in Tampa, is that there's this kind of the, the gen, school of thought that says it's a genetic mutation cause, and the other said, no, it's it's a defective respiration cause, uh, the, Warburg, the Warburg effect. Yeah. Um, and most of the folks that you and I were interfacing with in Tampa were in the latter school, uh, and they were really drilling down on kind of how to address the metabolic cause of cancer using a ketogenic diet. So tell us how a ketogenic diet can be a treatment protocol. And is that part of the answer that you found for your own um, issue with this? Yes. But let me step back if I can. Please. Just a little tiny bit. Because I was in, I was dabbling in ketosis. When I say dabbling, I was in nutritional ketosis before I was even diagnosed with the prostate cancer. Well, Although if you went I was to paleo on paleo FX, then obviously you had a, a, a deeper interest in nutrition than the average Joe. Correct. And I, uh, you know, I, I wasn't testing my ketone levels strictly. I don't even know if I didn't even have the blood test strips, um, which I, of course, do now. got. Yes. Once I got into the kind of the therapeutic range, the very first thing that I did when I got diagnosed with cancer is I did an eight day water fast, which was originally intended to be a 10 day cleanse yeah. using the um Oh, I can't think of the name of the gentleman who came up with the cleanse, but you you may know him. It's it's you know lemon juice and and cayenne pepper oh, yeah, like and a maple syrup. cleanse kind of thing. It's yeah. the master cleanse, correct? And I I decided that would be a good way to start my treatment when I first was diagnosed, and this started probably a week or ten days after I came back. So it was before I got diagnosed, but I decided, look, I'm going to jump in because I if I do have cancer, I want to address it. Sure. Um, and I. Uh, I, t- I literally had one day of that of that cleanse and the, the maple syrup just sent me into a sugar coma. Oh, yeah. And I said, yeah, this is not going to work. And so I decided, OK, I'm just going to do a water fast. And originally it was going to be 10 days. And I, I on the eighth day, my body said, OK, it's time to start eating again, although I felt great. Um, and so that put me into a pretty high level of ketosis. But I did I did come to the conclusion based in large part on, on the work of Dom Diagostino mm-hmm. and Tom Seafreeth and others that the ketogenic diet would be a good a good start, at least on the nutritional side of addressing cancer. And I don't think any one thing that I did you could point to and say this was the causative element that they put you into uh, remission. I think it's the combination of effects of all of them. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And um, I, I want to tell you something also that's kind of interesting that came up in Tampa you may have attended some of the uh, speakers who were talking about kind of a very new area of science within the space. And this this whole thing about deuterium depletion and uh, deuterium is a, a hydrogen molecule that's twice the size of a normal hydrogen molecule. And it's very, very sparse in our environment. I mean, it's it's like, you know, 0.05 percent of the hydrogen out there is deuterium. It's a wow. very low number. 
And I'm not an expert in the space. This is brand new science. So, it, But I did have an opportunity to talk to someone at the conference about the ketogenic diet and what they call the Gerson therapy. And, and for those of your listeners who might have friends who are, or who are themselves facing uh, issues with cancer, they might have done some nutritional research and stumbled on the Gerson therapy, which is the plant-based diet. And so my question... G-E-R-S-O-N, uh, is that how you spell Gerson? Yes, yes. And there's other folks that are pushing the plant-based diet as a means of addressing cancer. Oh, yeah. And, and Colin Campbell is a biggie out there. <laughs> yeah. And my question was, how could these both have, how could they both have equal kind of efficacy, at least on a, you know, anecdotal level? You, know, you can right. see that it actually works. And results. And, and, and it turns out, and this is kind of interesting, and this, this, I mean, this just fell in my lap, so I haven't done it, I haven't done any research behind it, but both of those diets are deuterium depletion diets. Both of those diets will lower your level of deuterium. And so I'm not saying that's the cause of the be all end all. What I am saying is if you're facing cancer, what you must, must, must do is strengthen your mitochondria. And uh, hydrogen is part of the energetic process that the mitochondria needs to function and develop ATP. And so you, that's why the ketogenic diet is, is such a therapeutic diet for cancer patients, because not only is it really healthy for your mitochondria to, to be using these ketones for a source of fuel, but cancer cells can only burn glucose, right? Um, or that's their primary fuel source right. is glucose, but they burn a tremendous amount of glucose if it's available. And by reducing the availability of glucose, you're necessarily further weakening their ability to function. And so you want to both weaken the cancer cells and strengthen your healthy cells. And so the ketogenic diet, I think, is, is a good way to do that. My diet is, a, I think I would call it a slightly modified, if you look at a traditional ketogenic diet, in that I have a, a lot of vegetables. And I would call it a high-fiber ketogenic diet. Would you say that uh, you do more of like Dr. Terry Walls and her approach to treating MS? I'm, I'm sure you're very well aware of that. Uh, and kind of her ketogenic approach with high vegetable, would you kind of say it mimics her plan? Yes, I would say it's very close to that. But there's one thing that I do that I think... Um, I'd like to touch on if we have time for sure. it, and that is, this, and your book on fasting, I think, is a great is a great resource for your uh, listeners who haven't already picked up a copy because one of the things that I think you absolutely positively must do to address cancer is you have to ha increase the the amount of time you spend in the uh, in autophagy, mm. right? You want to be in that state where you're cleaning out your cells, get rid of those cells, yep. Yeah, I want to really, well, it's actually an intracellular process. And it's interesting that uh, in 2016, the Nobel laureate was a Japanese scientist. Yes. Whose study focused on autophagy and how it works. And I think that what, so what I do is I kind of pulse my diet. I do a lot of fasting and I, 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 I mix it up. How long I, do you I, fast I, when you do fast? Well, I do a three-day fast every month. Perfect. And then I do a 24-hour fast two or three times a month in between my three-day fasts. And then I do an intermittent fast pretty much every day, which means I have dinner right. at by 8 o'clock and I don't eat until 1 or 2 in the afternoon the following day. Perfect. By the uh, way, the, uh, the name of that Japanese researcher, Yoshinori Osumi, a Japanese cell biologist, uh, yeah, he, he definitely earned that Nobel Prize, and it, it came out at a really good time because fasting has kind of come on strong, and then he wins the Nobel Prize. It was, just, it was huge. Yes, and, and, and for those who really want to kind of look at what he's done, 
Um, and it's not just his work. I think what he did is he just added a lot of color and some genetic um, background. He put a face so, to it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, it, you know, autophagy contributes to cellular, cellular differentiation, which is, you know, one of the elements of cancer. Cancer cells de- are de-differentiated. In other words, they don't follow the normal pathway of going from, you know, a stem cell into a, a, a heart cell or a liver cell or a muscle cell or w- whatever cell is, is, is being utilize. Um, uh, they, they kind of create their own version of a kind of a prehistoric cell that burns sugar through the fermentation process. Um, so autophagy is a big part of it. So I say yeah. my diet includes, you know, a lot of vegetables, a lot of fat, a modest amount of protein. It does. I do have, you know, organ meats, but I cycle those organ meats. I'll have, you know, cause I want to get into that cycle. And so after my fast, I'll have a you know the following week I'll I'll consume a, a decent amount of organ meats or or you know raw oysters are very kind of high nutrition but I kind of do it in a cycling basis and the reason I do that is because before I got diagnosed with cancer I had this incredible um, desire to to flood myself with nutrients and I kind of went a little crazy without any real kind of scientific understanding of what I was doing oh yeah like what what'd you do. Well, I had a shake, which I could share with you if you want oh to post boy, it. Oh, boy, yes, I want to hear this shake. <laughs> if You could post it in your show notes. But it, it's an, it, it literally took me, you know, uh, probably two hours on the weekend to set it all up and then, you know, an hour every day during the week to actually make the shake. But it had all sorts of vitamins and supplements. I put natto in there. I put raw liver in there. I put, I mean, it was just, it was, you know, um, maca root. Uh, it was just flooded with stuff. And it's it would take a long time for me to list it all out. But there was so i did this every single day and i had that shake every single day so my body never had a chance to kind of clean itself out it was constantly being flooded with very high dense nutrients (laughs) and i thought well that was great right did you do this on instinct or was there some guidance you were having or you're just one of those really obsessive compulsive people that like to do Uh, things outside the box (laughs) jimmy you just nailed me Obsessive compulsive was exactly what it was. Yeah. It was complete obsession is what it was. I thought if, if a little is good, a lot must be great. Sure. And uh, and so I've decided that the body really needs this. It's like breathing. Your body needs the ability to breathe out and breathe in. You got to give yourselves a chance to kind of clean themselves out and not consistently, uh, you know, constantly flood yourself with uh, with this, these dense nutrients. Um and so that's one of the reasons why I think fasting should be part of the protocol. It just should be part of the protocol. And then there's a lot that I've done in, um, in oxidative therapy, you know, yeah. oxidation really hot. Because, again, that gets back to the whole Gerson theory. And you'll see on my website, I have a whole essay in there on kind of the theories of cancer and how I've gone through, you know, from the Warburg effect to the work of Pete Peterson, who kind of went through and discovered how the mitochondrial element of that Warburg effect because they didn't know about the mitochondria when Warburg came out with his studies. Right. Um, to kind of the works, the, the more current works that are being done by Tom Seafreeth and others today. And then I also touch on the energetic cause, because those things all address, you know, what we look at when we point to a cancer cell, what's happening, but they don't really address the underlying, well, what caused that cell to revert to that system of respiration? What caused those mitochondria to become defective? Mm. And that's when I'll touch on like principles of traditional Chinese medicine and the theories of Wilhelm Reich and kind of the more energetic elements. Uh, because to me, those are kind of the foundational core 
you know, if you really want to address the, the condition of cancer, knowing the cause will help you decide how best to turn off that whole process of cancering. And I like to refer to cancer as a, um, as a verb. I call it, your body's either cancering or it's healing. Cancering, I love yeah, that. Yeah, everybody's body is producing some cells that are potentially cancerous, right? Cells that are not working the way, the way they should. And your immune system will come in and deal with those cells. And your, you know, the, the whole autophagy, autophagy process will help correct that on an intracellular level. All this stuff will take place to keep a person who doesn't have cancer in what I call a, a healing state, right? You're managing the disease very well. You have no, no cancerous condition. Are you looking for high-quality supplements to complement your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner and my Keto Talk podcast co-host, Dr. Adam Nally, to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our first two items available for you, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus Blood Sugar Control Formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the Keto nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and leaf. And we're just getting started on the Keto Living brand of ketogenic-focused supplements in 2017, including the first-ever high-fat meal replacement powder to help you ditch those problematic protein powders coming soon. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. Ketoliving.com Are you seeking to be in nutritional ketosis and need a pain-free, inexpensive, and non-invasive way to determine whether or not you are effectively burning fat for fuel? Then get your hands on the FDA-registered Class 1 medical device called Ketonics. It's a breath analyzer you can use thousands of times to test for the presence of acetone, the primary ketone body in the breath. It's been developed by a Swedish engineer with epilepsy as an alternative to the failed urine ketone strips and and the expensive blood ketone strips. Ketonics is the first and best way to test for nutritional ketosis in the breath. Plus, you'll be able to chart your readings into convenient data to customize your ketogenic diet to you. Get your hands on the Ketonics 2015 in red or blue in North America for $150 at ketonics.co or get your Ketonics in the rest of the world at ketonics.com. When you actually end up with something that's diagnosed by traditional or, 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 you know, when you can actually look at it and see it on a PET scan or CT scan, you're now in a late stage. That's kind of the symptoms of the disease because you've been cancering for some time before it reaches that stage. Where sure. You can actually scan it. And it's see just it. like heart disease just doesn't just pop up all of a sudden. Sudden, neither does type 2 diabetes. They've developed over time. You just haven't been following the markers that would tell you, oh, yeah, dummy, you're about to have X. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I like to say, and I'm sure your listeners have heard this from other, other uh, guests on your show, that allopathic, you know, standard of care medicine is really good at addressing acute conditions. 
not so good at addressing the underlying causes. I've It'll heard right that to- somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go right to the symptom. And again, cancer, as, we, as, as, it's, as it's pointed to by traditional medicine, is really just the symptom. And so the energetic issue is really kind of getting to the deep, deep side of the process where you start the whole cancering process and get out of the healing process. So let me ask you, Eric, what role does the hormone insulin play in this whole discussion? Is that truly the key controlling the insulin and the cancer would have never come? I don't think so. Okay. I do. I do think that. I mean, even even if you look at the the genetic mutation theory of cancer, there's a lot of evidence. If you go on PubMed, there's thousands and thousands of articles that kind of that kind of can point to that as a causative element. But what's that? What that's really doing is it's 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 a process as part of the is is the a part of the generation of cancer, the development of cancer. As cancer progresses from its initial state to its end state, it goes through a lot of different processes, and the genetic mutation I think is more a cause than an effect, right? I mean, it's cause, it's a result of cancer. It's not the cause of cancer, and I think the whole issue with insulin could also fall into that same category. In other words. If you're having issues with with uh, with glucose and, and the, your body's ability to use insulin as a, a method of, of shuttling glucose, uh, that could certainly contribute to the cancer process. Mm-hmm. And now it probably it may contribute before it reaches the the tumor stage, in which case you can say it is a cause. But I think if you go back to the energetic level, now you're really talking uh, the root element here. Sure. And that's that's perhaps the most challenging for people to address. They're perfectly happy to go sit in a chair with an IV stuck in their arm, but you know to actually look at their life and say, okay, where 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 am I doing things that are kind of causing my serious energetic blockage? That's a that's a that's a much bigger challenge. <laughs> exactly, and, and we focus quite a bit so far on nutrition, uh, but there are some lifestyle things that people are are not dealing with properly. Uh, environment in their house and uh, yes, uh, different things that they could be doing that would be an adjunct to that nutrition. Can you talk about some of those things that you did to kind of help in your own cancer diagnosis? Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, there are, I, I say detoxification falls in three tiers, right? There's the environmental detox, which you touched on, things like, um, you know, being subjected to um, electromagnetic radiation or, or, uh, or, you know, toxic drinking, you know, tap water or, you know, uh, sitting in traffic all day, stressed out. These are all external hey, environmental. That's why people listen to my podcast, so I don't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then there's the physical detoxification process, which you also have to do, and, and that involves things like, um, you know, coffee enemas are, are one way. That's part of the Gerson um, therapy, but I think a lot of folks that are dealing with cancer have have used that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you need to do it to the level that Gerson subscribed, which is like four times a day. But what it's does a good that idea. do? What does the coffee enema do? Well, apparently, it's a good way of clean, cleaning out your system, and there are there are chemical components of the coffee that really help your liver. Do you get a caffeine uh, buzz from it? <laughs> no, you don't. You actually don't. In fact, people that are sensitive to caffeine can do it. I I tend to I, I I've done coffee enemas and I do them. You know, I find them to be a pain in the neck. Actually, honestly, I was going to say a pain somewhere else, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't know what I could say on the radio, on your radio show, um, but I I do rectal ozone insufflation, and we have that's oh, another oh, 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 oh. rectal what ozone ozone insufflation ozone insufflation. Okay, I thought you yes. said inflation, and I went ozone rectal inflation. That does not sound comfortable either. 
Well, it is kind of inflation because they call insulflation. I think it sounds a little more technical. Yeah. Uh, but it, it allows ozone to get into your bloodstream. And fortunately for me, and I would you probably if you had colon cancer, it'd be the same thing. It's you're doing it in an area that's very um, close to the yes source of the where the cancer is actually ah, residing. Got it. But it's basically you take a you take a plastic bag and you you fill it with ozone gas and then you stick a catheter up your behind and you squeeze out the gas and hold it in for wow. at least 15 20 minutes. What that does is it gets ozone into your blood and ozone is just another example like the ketogenic diet of something that really strengthens your healthy cells because the the mitochondria love high oxygen environment if it's functioning well at the same time weakening the cancer cells. Cancers cannot thrive in a high, highly oxygenated environment. What about chelation um, therapy? Did you consider anything like that? Or has there been I, any research on that? I, pro I, I think I would have if I had high uh, heavy metal content in my blood. Yeah. There's, there's, it's interesting that most of the alternative cancer treatment centers outside the United States and a few within the United States that I looked at when I was kind of doing my research have uh, as part of their staff what they call biological dentistry, where they have dentists who specialize in finding um, uh, infections within your within your teeth in your jawline, where your, mm -hmm. your roots of your teeth, but they also focus on you know high mercury content, because obviously having high levels of, of heavy metals in your system could be not only could it be a contributor to the cancer, but it also impairs your immune system. and And we haven't even touched on how you strengthen your immune system. But <laughs> having your immune system functioning well is really important if you're if you're addressing cancer. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I would say that if you if you did, I did ha I did do the press test to see where my heavy metal content was as an early part of my my protocol, mm -hmm. and I came in well within the range, and so I haven't Good. really felt the need to do any chelation therapies. Sure, but you did other things uh, as well. Uh, what did you show? Uh, curcumin, turmeric, uh, as yes. a, as a part of it, and then the grounding. A lot of people are doing grounding now uh, and getting adequate sun. Um, Anything else of consequence? And, of course, the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which you briefly touched on earlier. I had an expert on recently talking all about how that helps uh, not just with cancer, but really health in general. Yes. And I could spend We could spend an entire show talking about hyperbaric treatment. Um, and I do highly recommend and it. We did that show three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And I thank you for that because that's very helpful. I found that. I mean, it, having access to that information is extremely useful. Um, I think anybody who has metastatic issues should do hyperbaric oxygen and, and at least until they get the metastases under control it's it's shown to be very effective and you know because when you have cancer you obviously have these little cancer stem cells floating throughout your blood they just they're there um i know western medicine likes to poo poo that idea but there are tests that are done outside the united states where they actually look at the levels of those um, and determine what treatment protocols work and which don't work for you. So, yeah, I do think and getting fungus under control is important, too. We didn't touch on that. Yes. But, um, you know, you really want to make sure you do that. And I don't think fungus is necessarily a direct cause. It probably could cause cancer if you have a weakness in cells in a really high level of fungus. But I do think that cancer causes that, you know, it kind of it weakens things to the point where you get fungal overgrowth can kind of take a, a deeper, um, t deeper root into your system. So well, and I would think mold would also come into play here as well. Yes. Yes. And that would be addressed as part of the environmental detox. Yeah. Um, and then the third would be, of course, in, in, so you have environmental, physical and then emotional detox. And the emotional detox is the one we kind of touched on earlier. Um, yeah. Stress reductions, having healthy relationships, getting good sleep, all that stuff is really important. So, Eric, really important. Uh, 
you know, as part of all these different protocols, which again, we, we mentioned earlier, it wasn't just the ketogenic diet. It was probably the accumulation of all of these things that, that we've been talking about here so far. Did you do any kind of the standard of care, traditional type of treatments uh, for your cancer or was this all alternative medicine? No, I did prostate cancer. There's a, a pretty standard diagnosis and prescription, and that is uh, what they call androgen deprivation therapy, or ADT, also called chemical castration. And what they, what the uh, doctors do is they put you on a drug, Lupron, or there's other versions of it that shuts off the body's production of testosterone. I mean, it literally shuts it off. Um, and it, it, it's intended to starve the cancer. And it works for quite a few cancers, uh, prostate, you know, can't, there's no common cancer. That's one of the reasons why the genetic mutation theory hasn't worked is, but some prostate cancers after a period of time will find a way around that and start getting fuel sources elsewhere. Um, but before you'd start these shots, you also take Casidex, which shuts off the receptors for um, testosterone. I did both. I started off with the Casidex, I did that for two and a half weeks, and then I got my very first Lupron shot. Interesting, Jimmy. The day I got that shot, they took blood. This was my second PSA test. Yeah. My first one was, as we said, was 21.1. This is my second test. That blood came in at 1.86. Whoa, normal. 1.86. This is the day I got my first Lupron shot. Wow. And the next every month I, in the Lupron shot, you can opt to do on a semi-annual basis, on a quarterly basis or monthly basis. I, of course, opted monthly. for the monthly shot <laughs> for two reasons. One is I looked at the dosage and I thought, why would I do 90 milligrams when I could do 10 milligrams yes. of whatever this toxic substance is that they're going to be putting into my body? Right. And the second is I wanted the ability to, to, to cycle off if I felt like I didn't want to continue to take it right. and not be stuck for a longer period of time. So, but the, so I got my first shot and then my day of my second shot a month later, my PSA was 0.23. Wow. And then after that, it's been 0.05 where it's been. And I cycled off of Lupron. I got my last shot uh, the first week of January. So I cycled off of the Lupron about three months ago, four months ago um, when this thing airs. But it's, um, you know, I, I, I just... I wasn't willing to say, no, I'm not going to do anything. I was willing to throw everything at it. I was unwilling to do chemotherapy, which is recommended to me. Uh, of course, when I talked to radiologists, they recommended radiology. And I said, no, I'm not going to do radiology either. Uh, those are two treatments that I just kind of rejected out of hand. It's just not being appropriate for a lot of different reasons, which we don't necessarily have time to get into in the show, but perhaps at some other point. Um, so I, I, I can't tell you how much that impacted it. Maybe this Casadex helped. I don't know. I couldn't say. All I can say is I'm thrilled with the results. And I do want your listeners who, who may be uh, wrestling with prostate cancer to do their own research. Of course, I'm not a doctor. I can't give medical advice. But if you're taking these shots, go to PubMed. Talk to your doctor. You can cycle off of those shots. It's found. It's the, what the tests say at these major medical institutions. The pharmaceutical companies actually sell these drugs, and obviously want to sell these drugs. Is that there's really no benefit to cycling off, according to the tests. I think there is, but there's no harm in cycling off. So it, it would. It seems to me it would make perfect sense to consider cycling off, so that your body can produce testosterone at least within certain windows, so that it can do everything it needs to do to keep all of your other systems working the way they should. Why should you go the rest of your life, your life without any testosterone? Yeah. Um, so that's an important point that your doctor won't necessarily tell you. But if you ask, which I did, my, my, my oncologist said, oh, yeah, that, you can do that. Um, 
So, Eric, so what, how, how are you today tracking where you are in in the cancer? Uh, obviously, uh, you're saying it's in remission. How do you know it? And what, what are those things that you're looking at, blood markers um, and, and other ways to track how you're doing? There are, with prostate cancer, obviously, PSA levels is a big indicator. And you said 0.23, it's pretty much stayed there. Well, it's been 0.05 ever since, which is oh, undetectable. Wow. Um, it's just Dude, insane. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, awesome. It, it, you can also do a digital exam. You can do an ultrasound exam, but you really need to have another PET scan or CT scan to really kind of to know for give sure. it that. Yeah, but even there, I think I, I've, I've actually talked to quite a few breast cancer patients um, since I kind of got on this journey. And... Um, you know, there's thermal imaging now that they can do. It's not, of course, it's not standard of care, so it's not paid for by the insurance company, which I think is, a, which I think is just a, um, an absolute, you know, it's 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 mind-boggling to me that a therapy like that wouldn't be paid for by insurance company. It's not that expensive. It's a couple. There's a lot bucks. of therapies aren't paid for by insurance that I think should be. <laughs> but I know. But you, you think about a mammogram versus thermal imaging. One is so hard in your system, and you're yeah. subject yourself to radiation. The other is completely safe. You know, why it would makes one too much be, sense it makes too much sense? <laughs> it kills me, Jimmy. It kills me. Right. But yeah. for example, you know, you could have an, a thermal imaging scan. You could have you can show that there's cancer cells in your system that don't show up on a CT scan or PET scan. So I, I'm of the view that, yes, it's nice to know whether you have a significant tumor somewhere in your body. That's, of course, very important. But it's also important to know that we're all producing cells that are potentially cancers. Every single person on this planet has those cells in their body. The difference between a cancer patient, like we call these people, and the rest of the population is the cancer patient has reached a stage of that process where they're no longer managing the disease well enough. But if you go to get, say, an Oncoblot test, which is one way of indicating how many of these little cancer proteins are circulating in your blood, everyone's going to show positive. But the question is, is your level low enough that they, you're considered to be managing the disease, you don't have to worry about it, or is it past what they determine to be that level, in which case you want to figure out what therapies you might implement to address the disease. And so I think what, we, what you want to do is, to answer your question, is you want to kind of, you want to, don't want to have any symptoms. You don't want to have anything that indicates that it could end up becoming a health problem, like right. the, the tumor is pressing against a vein or it's shutting off your ability to urinate, in my case, whatever it is. If those, and, and, and you look at my ultrasound, which to answer your question, my urologist is the one who declared me to be in remission when he put me on his table and did the ultrasound and digital exam and said, your prostate feels perfectly normal. And by the way, your lymph nodes that were all swollen and twice the normal size that are in the proximity of your groin, the prostate, are all normal as well. Um, you know, that's a pretty strong indicator that you're in remission, which means that instead of cancer progressing, it's actually receding which means you're healing versus cancering. Yes. And that's where you want to be. You're never going to get to the point where you get an oncoblot test and it says you have zero cancer. No one has that. But you do want to be to the point where you feel like your body's in the healing mode and not in that cancering mode. And so yeah. to me, that's, that's the goal. And it's, it's a lifelong process. It's it's something that you can't you can't say, OK, I'm now I can go back to my old ways. Right. I don't necessarily have to do hyperbaric oxygen three days a week. I still do it once a week just because I'm, you know, I'm I'm treading lightly. I want to make sure. That, yeah, I, I don't mind. I, hey, look, if it's if it's if it's if it's getting this disease into a managed state, I'm happy to do it. Sure. 
better safe than sorry is the old saying. So. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. So one last question for you, because a lot of people listening may know someone in their life or they themselves may be dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Um, and obviously, you've created this incredible website, questtocurecancer.com, where they can get great information uh, and, and I guess find support as well. Uh, one of the challenges is uh, finding those oncologists and other members of the team who can be on their side and support them in whatever choices they decide to take when it comes to dealing with their cancer. What 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 are those biggest challenges uh, that these patients face, and you know how can they find a good team that will support them? Yeah, I have I, I I have a pretty strong view on this, and again, I'm not a doctor, but I I feel you should have a, you should have both a standard of care doctor and regular oncologist and an integrative doctor on your team, and you want to find an oncologist who um, who you can work with. In other words, who's who's going to allow you whoever it is that's facing these issues to kind of decide what's best for them, who's not going to push you in one direction. You obviously need to take the advice of your doctor into consideration. But one good yardstick that I would apply is to sit down with your doctor and talk about, you know, um, some of the concerns that you have as to how you might address the condition on an alternative basis, either in conjunction with standard of care or adopt a wait and see attitude and see how it works before you jump right into chemotherapy, radiation, or other standard of care treatments. Obviously, you need your doctor. You want a doctor who's willing to talk to you and work with you, and that's what I did. And so I think what my goal is on this site is to provide those that, that have access to the information or looking or seeking the information to give them access to enough information to make an educated decision as to what it is exactly they should be asking their doctor and, and asking themselves and deciding what the best treatment protocol is. And, and the, way I, the way I kind of outline it for people that haven't yet confronted it is to ke please keep in mind that when you go to see your doctor, even the best doctor in the world is only going to give you a very limited amount of attention. And, and they're going to base their advice on their experience, which if they're specialists is in a very narrow spectrum of information and they may be really experts in that space but you need to take a broader picture so you want to find a doctor that you can um you, you a you want to find a doctor that you can that, who's going to be flexible but b you want to understand that your doctor is only going to give you that little tiny bit of half an hour at best or an yeah. hour of time because they have to that's all they have and yeah. it's up to you it's up to you to decide what's right and and just kind of we can maybe end on this and we can pick it up maybe on another call but the Insurance companies only pay for standard of care, and so you're gonna if you if you have to you're gonna be pushing that direction, regardless of how you feel about what you know. Maybe because your listeners, I'm sure, have a, lot, a broader perspective on diet. Oh, they love to trend on everything. Yes. <laughs> yeah, nutrition, everything else, and so you want to be able to incorporate all that in, and then see how it fits in, and whether or not standard of care makes sense for you or not. Um, you don't want to just be shoved into that corner because you could do devastating things to your body and all these other wonderful things you've been doing to try to be healthy get kind of put on the back burner. Now you got to kind of recuperate from your treatment. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. It would be nice to have a, a, you know, a directory of doctors. I think that the change that's going to occur in this space is not going to happen from the top down. It's not going to be doctors deciding to educate themselves on the benefits of ketosis. It's going to be patients going to their doctor and saying, Doc, 
what about ketosis? How could how might I be able to reduce this the extent of, your, of these treatments if I can use the ketogenic diet as a way of strengthening the process? If enough people go to their doctor and ask these questions, I think you'll start to see some incremental change. I'm not optimistic that there's going to be a significant change. I just don't see that happening. There's still a lot of eye rolling. I've got this oncologist uh, friend of mine at my church and he's, yeah, when I bring up the ketogenic diet, you can just sense that he's like, okay, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, let's don't throw the uh, the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, there could be some benefit. He said, well, could, but until I see more research. So that kind of begs the question of what we learned in Tampa. You know, can we see even more research? And I know the human trials are underway with people like Gene Fine and Richard Feynman trying to get a lot of those funded. So uh, it's a wait and see kind of thing. But in the meantime, people that want to learn more about the great work that you're doing can go to questtocurecancer.com. Again, today we've been talking to Eric Rimmensperger from that there Quest to Cure Cancer, and we are so appreciative of all the work that you're doing, and thanks so much for being here today on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Coming up next time on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show, we'll have the author of a brand new book called The Keto Diet. Her name, Leanne Vogel. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light. <laughs>